Uh, it's really good to be with you today. Um, I'm really excited to be preaching in person. We haven't done preaching at our live meetings, a few we have had at Avenue. So this, I've not done this for over a year, which is very strange. So it's really exciting to be here with you and really encouraging to see so many people here. Um, if you want to get it open in advance, we're going to be looking at Psalm 88 today together. Uh, not a psalm many people will have looked at perhaps before, but I want to start, as you find that, by sharing a little bit about me. Uh, I am a bit of a music obsessive. I love music. I'm a bit of a music nerd. Misery music, my wife calls it, but I like it. And I also, I'm a bit embarrassed to say, I sort of fancy myself as a bit of a singer-songwriter. So when I hear certain songs, I often find myself thinking, oh, I wish I'd written that song. Oh, such a good song. I wish I'd written that. Maybe you've thought that. Are there any songs you can think of that you think, oh, I wish I'd written that? Have a think. Maybe if I can grab you in the car park afterwards, tell me. Of all the songs that you know, can you think of one you wish you'd written because you love it so much and it perfectly captures how you feel about a thing? I don't know. I can list loads, but that's far too boring for most people to listen to. Um, but what about Christian songs as well? What about songs that we sing in churches that help people praise God? Are there any songs that you think, ah, oh, that really captures how I feel about God. I wish I'd written that. And how amazing it would be to have written something that helps people praise God and worship God and has helped people over years and years in their praise and adoration of God. Is there one Christian song you can think of that you think, oh, I wish I'd written that? Well, the psalm we're going to be looking at is somebody's one shot to do just that. To write a song that was going to help people in their praise and their adoration of God. This word psalm means song or song of praise. So this guy who wrote Psalm 88, He-Man, not that He-Man, the Ezraite, he gets one shot. One chance. There's no other songs by him in the book of Psalms. This is his only one. He was a priest. And so he was one of Israel, the people of God's worship leaders. And we read about him in 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. So he's somebody who would lead Israel in singing praises to God. And so this psalm, Psalm 88, is the one psalm of praise that he leaves for the people of Israel. And unbeknownst to him, the people of God for the following thousands of years. This is his legacy. We're going to read it together in a moment. So don't get too distracted by it now. But this is a psalm that does leave us with a big question. A huge question. If the Psalms are songs and songs of praise, where's the praise in this one? When we read it in a minute, just try and listen out for any praise that might come from this Psalm. Because the truth is, if this song was written today, I don't think we'd sing it in our churches. We'd not consider it at all. In fact, this sort of Psalm sounds like the kind of thing that um, people who are protest atheists would say. And a protest atheist is somebody who, who look around at, they might have had considered the idea of a God, but they've looked around at the world and all the suffering and the misery and the pain in the world and maybe in their own lives and just concluded if there is a God, he's long ago given up on us. And we won't really want anything to do with him anyway if he came knocking. Just look at the world. Who would want to be involved in a God that allows this sort of world? That's the kind of person you think would write this psalm, because this isn't one of those psalms you might find posted on Instagram with a nice background. Or if you grew up in places like I did with a nice kitten behind it with the words above it. No, this is this is a pretty bleak, miserable psalm of despair. So how on earth can a psalm like this be in the Bible? If psalms are songs of praise, what is this one doing here? 
So I think the question it leaves us with is, can despair be praise? Can misery be worship? Now, there might be some people here who are theologically aware enough to say, yes, of course, despair can be praise. The book of Psalms is a very good example of that. You may well know that nearly a third of the Psalms are a bit like Psalm 88, what we call lament. Sometimes they're an individual's lament of their own situation like this one, or sometimes they're lament of the whole company of Israel, like in Psalm 137. But the truth is, Psalm 88 itself isn't like other lament Psalms. Almost all of the other lament psalms end with a kind of positive ending, a reaffirmation of I am going to praise in God. So look at Psalm 13, one that people might think of as a a really easy example of a psalm of lament. It ends with, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. As I say, most of the lament psalms end with that kind of positive determination to keep trusting in God through it. So we're going to read Psalm 88 together now. And as we do, read along, but keep an ear out to see if you can hear any form of hope, any form of praise, any positive slant on anything here. So Psalm 88, it'd be great to keep open your Bibles as we go through as well. A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah for the director of music, according to Mahalalath Lianoth, a maskil of Heman the Ezraite. Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night, I cry out to you. May my prayer come before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counting among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I'm set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, who you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and I cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day I spread out my hands to you. Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? But I cry out to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? From my youth, I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. Did you hear the positivity there? Did you hear the praise and adoration that so many of the other Psalms of Lament end with? No. In fact, if you were listening and looking, you'd have spotted this word dark is mentioned three times throughout this Psalm. In fact, in the original Hebrew, the last word of the Psalm is darkness. My closest friend is darkness. 
Darkness and despair is the theme of this psalm. And there doesn't seem to be any hope in it. Darkness is my closest friend. What a way to finish a song of praise, eh? We end here in the dark with the idea that at the end of the day, at least maybe the oblivion of sleep will just take away some of that pain I'm feeling. My one comfort is oblivion. You won't find this kind of song in any other religion. Usually songs and prayers like this are found being sung by non-Christians, but in the Bible, like, can we really pray and sing things like this to God? Can we really rage against God quite like this? Or we might understand it in musicals like um, Les Miserables, don't we? So the word Fontaine sings, and I dreamed a dream. I dreamed a dream in t- I dreamed a dream in times gone by when hope was high and life was worth living. I dreamed that love would never die. I dreamed that God would be forgiving, but the tigers come at night with their voices soft as thunder as they tear your hope apart, as they turn your dream to shame. I had a dream my life would be so different from this hell I'm living, so different now from what it seemed. Now life has killed the dream I dreamed. We understand a song like that in the musical, don't we, when we see a situation? But the Bible? What is it doing here? Can we really pray these kind of things? I mean, it starts off quite well, all right? Verse 1, Lord, you are the God who saves me. Brilliant. We definitely call this guy a Christian. But that's pretty much the most hopeful note in the psalm, isn't it? Because the rest of it is just sadness followed by bleakness ending in darkness. So can despair be praise? Can despair be worship? Well, I believe the God of the Bible says yes. Definitely. Despair can be praise. Despair can be worship. Because despair can be prayed. What do you do with your despair when you feel even just a little bit of this? In fact, I know what a lot of you will do with this because I'm looking around and a lot of you are British. So what we do is we just bury our despair under layers of politeness and niceness, put on our stiff upper lip and have another cup of tea. Until we're in traffic, anyway. Oh, especially us men. Oh, we don't show this kind of misery. We tell everyone around it, no worries, I'm fine, it's all good. And then we kill ourselves in unparalleled numbers, don't we? Men between the ages of 20 and 34 are killing themselves in ridiculous amounts in the UK. Suicide accounts for over a quarter of all deaths of men that age. What do we do with our despair and our anguish? Because it isn't helping, whatever it is. And I think Psalms like Psalm 88 particularly tell us what to do. And they tell us to pray it. They tell us to accept it, acknowledge it and pray it. And they tell us as honestly as we can to vocalize our feelings to God. And that it's more than okay to do that. Because then despair becomes praise. Then despair becomes worship. If we just vocalize it to each other, if we just tell our friends that's grumbling. Or if we just keep it all in and let it build up, well, that's, that's wallowing, isn't it? But when we pour it out to God like this psalmist does, maybe with the help of a friend or family member, well, then that is praising God. Because it's demonstrating faith that we believe Jesus really means it when he says, whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So the question for us now is, do we really believe that? 
Do we really believe we can go to God when we feel even little bits of this? Because if we really believed it, it would change how we behave and how we pray. Perhaps it would help us to have a little look about some of the specifics of what He-Man was feeling. And he gives us three pictures, I think, to help us see how he's feeling. So firstly, in verses three to six, he feels closer to death than alive. He feels closer to death than alive. Verse three. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I'm counting among those who go down to the pit. I'm like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Have you ever felt like that? I imagine there are some people here who, and I'm watching online, who have felt something like this. Like you're pretty much dead already. Have you ever longed to just feel anything at all? Like you're numb to the point of empty and it hurts. The 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon, very famous preacher known as the Prince of Preachers, he experienced deep depression throughout his life and he knew what this felt like. And when talking about these verses, he says this. The psalmist felt as if he were as utterly forgotten as those whose carcasses are left to rot on the battlefield. As when a soldier, mortally wounded, bleeds unheeded amid the heaps of slain. How low the spirits of good and brave men will sometimes sink. Under the influence of certain disorders, everything will wear a somber aspect and the heart will dive into the profoundest deeps of misery. Have you ever felt something like that? Have you ever felt closer to being dead than alive? Heman the Ezraite definitely did. But then the second picture, I think he leaves for us in verses 7 and then verses 15 to 17, is that he feels like he's drowning in sadness. Like he's drowning in sadness. Verse 7, your wrath lies heavily on me. You've overwhelmed me with all your waves. And then verse 15, from my youth I've been suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and I'm in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They've completely engulfed me. He just can't take any more of this pain and this sorrow and this anguish. Again, maybe you know a little bit of what that feels like. Like life is coming up to your neck and your chin and you're on your tiptoes just struggling to keep breathing. In fact, this psalm, the water's taller than him, and the waves keep coming. Have you ever felt like you're drowning in sadness? Because if so, the Bible understands it. It's here in black and white. We can try and deny and hide these sorts of feelings and things and emotions, or even say they're not right for a Christian to feel. But the inspired word of God puts it out there in black and white for us to see. It's okay to feel these things. It's more than fine to not be fine. Maybe you're going through something like this and you're listening to me and you're thinking, yeah, I get that some people can feel like this. I understand that, Dan, but I've got no reason to feel like this. Nothing terrible has happened to me. I shouldn't be feeling this way. Or perhaps maybe you know someone who's feeling this way and we feel that way about them. People we think, why are they so miserable? They haven't been through anything. If they knew what I'd been through and I just got on with it, they should be more like me. Well, again, I think Spurgeon helps us here. He says, 
the mind can descend far lower than the body. For in it, there are bottomless pits. If I started digging a pit here, even if I kept on going for forever, the furthest I'd get would be the other side of the world. But for the mind, there are pits with no end whatsoever. He says that our bodies can only take a certain amount of injury and illness. So, for example, if you were bleeding, there would only be a certain amount of blood you could lose before you'd stop bleeding. But Spurgeon says the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again every hour. He's saying that for the mind, there really are bottomless pits. So if you're feeling these things and feel like you've got no reason to, please stop adding to your pain by trying to make yourself feel like you shouldn't be feeling this. Again, the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible gives words to your pain. God doesn't call you to work out how right you are to feel what you feel before you come to him. No, he just tells you to come to him. But we need to be clear as well that while this part of the Christian life, this kind of prayer, sorry, is part of the Christian life, it isn't all of the Christian life. So one in three Psalms are lament, not three in three. So while it's true that if we never talk to God like this, then something might not be quite right. If you only ever talk to God like this and you only ever feel this way, then something isn't quite right as well. If our only experience of the Christian life is this kind of intense pain and anguish, then that might be something that's worth considering getting extra help from. Please don't think that the provision God has made in this world is something to be ignored because we can pray. No, I think God often helps us through our wonderful medical systems we do have. But even then, be aware that when we do feel these things, even if it feels like it's all the time, we can tell them to our Father in heaven in whatever manner we choose. I mean, look at verse 15. He says, from my youth, I've suffered and been close to death. Well, that's almost certainly an exaggeration. From what we know about Heman's life, that's not true. But that doesn't matter. Because in this moment, that's how he feels. And he knows God cares about how he feels, even if his reaction to it might be considered over the top. So he can, and he does, bring this feeling of anguish, this over-the-top exaggeration to God. And he doesn't caveat it. He doesn't try and justify it whatsoever. He feels like he's drowning, so he calls out to God. But the thing, the third thing that He-Man tells us he's feeling in verses 8 and 18 is that he feels completely abandoned. Completely abandoned. Verse 8. You've taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. I'm confined and cannot escape. And verse 18. You've taken from me my friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. So thirdly, he feels completely abandoned, friendless. The only friend he has is darkness. Those people that were his friends, well, he feels like they now hate him. They're repulsed by him. And worse than that, verse 14, he feels like God's rejected him too. I mean, he's crying out to God. He says this again and again, doesn't he? Verse 9 and 13. But nothing. Heaven is silent. In fact, he feels like God's turned his back on him. He feels completely abandoned by everybody, even by God. Have you ever felt something like that? Again, I imagine some of us might have. We're meant to resonate with these feelings. That's why they're here in the Bible. But the question still remains, 
What do we do with them? Are we meant to just bury them down, put on our church smile or our Zoom face and pretend everything's okay? Because that'll make everybody else feel better. Is that what we're meant to do? When every third psalm expresses this kind of pain, what should we do with it? And again, I want to encourage us here this morning, pray it. He-man prays his despair. He is still faithful in the midst of his suffering, even if it doesn't look like what we think faithfulness looks like. Look at some of the things he says to God. I think if we heard this in our church prayer meetings, we might feel a bit appalled. He's almost sarcastic in verses 10 to 12, isn't he? Do you show your wonders to the dead? Do their spirits rise up and praise you? Is your love declared in the grave, your faithfulness and destruction? Are your wonders known in the place of darkness or your righteous deeds in the land of oblivion? I think he's basically saying to God here, I think you've got this wrong. You say you want to display to the world around how amazing and magnificent you are. Well, I think you're doing that pretty badly at the moment. God, if I'm dead, if I'm in the grave, destroyed in the place of darkness and oblivion, I can't praise you. And in truth, God, I feel like I'm almost there. What are you doing? Amen. Have you ever felt like that? More importantly, have you ever prayed something similar to this? Have you ever dared vocalize it to God in this way? Is Hollywell Church a place where families and people can feel safe enough to express this kind of fear without any judgment or rejection on their spiritual walk, without being afraid of being thrown out? See, if we learn nothing else from Psalm 88, we need to learn that it is okay to admit when we feel like this, that it is wrong to bottle it up, and it is right to speak it out, but that we must do it first and foremost to God. I mean, that is clearly who He-Man is addressing throughout this psalm, isn't it? He's clearly crying out to God, despite getting nothing back. He's not crying out to the people around him. He's not grumbling. No, he's crying out in faith that God can take it. This is a man, I think, who is as close to giving up on what he believes as is possible to be. And instead of keeping that in or just grumbling it to other people, he takes it to God. I mean, he is riddled with doubts and hurts. But he knows that if you've got a complaint, take it to the manager. The theologian and author J.I. Packer um, wrote many famous books. One of those is called God's Plan for You. And he says this. God uses chronic pain and weakness, along with other afflictions, as his chisel for sculpting our lives. Felt weakness deepens dependence on Christ for strength each day. The weaker we feel, the harder we lean. And the harder we lean, the stronger we grow spiritually, even while our bodies waste away. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying in that reading from 1 Corinthians earlier. And that is all absolutely true. But it still hurts. And that's okay. Because Psalm 88 tells us, if nothing else, that when we feel this pain, tell God. Lean on him. He knows how you feel already, and he can handle hearing far more of our honest anguish and pain than we like to think. So he, man, feels closer to death than life. He feels like he's drowning in his sorrows, and he feels completely abandoned. And so part of the challenge and encouragement I want to leave us with today is that this sort of prayer is right, and it is good, and it's healthy, and it's biblical. 
When we hurt like this, we've got to pray like this. When we doubt like this, we've got to pray like this. Putting on a brave church face isn't going to help anybody. It's just going to cause more damage. So very quickly as we end, I don't know what time I'm on, sorry. But I want to just give us three things to take away from this psalm as well, practically going forward. So firstly, we've already said it. If you're feeling like this, if you're hurting, if you are in anguish, if you feel so full of doubts, you're about to give up on God. Pray that. Tell him. Tell God, don't keep it in. He can handle your complaints. He's not like an easily offended, touchy parent going, how dare you, whenever we bring these things to him. No, God wants to hear what's on your heart, no matter how realistic it might be. And when you feel this and don't tell him, he knows it already. So why hide it from him? And when it's just you and God, don't feel like you've got to coat it in any politeness or religious terms. Heman the Ezraite doesn't. And it's in the Bible for us all to see. Pour out your heart to God. And instead of grumbling or wallowing or just despair, it becomes praise and it becomes worship to a God you know who cares for you and loves you and wants good things for you. When you do that, it shows you really believe God when he says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In 1 Peter 5, we are allowed to lament. So let's do that. But secondly, counselling people going through this kind of pain is tiring and it is exhausting. So if you know somebody who's feeling this sort of thing, let them. Let's let people feel this in our churches. Now, we might not think their reaction to a circumstance is proportional to it. But remember that for the mind, there are bottomless pits. So let's listen to each other. Let's listen to our hurt and our mourning and our lament and despair But our job is to help the other person turn it into worship and praise by taking it to God in prayer, sometimes for them. I've suffered quite heavily with depression throughout my life. And I remember one situation I just felt unable to speak to God. I felt all of these things and yet unable to declare it. I felt like God had turned his back on me. and I was so tired of pouring it out to him. I was on the phone to a friend just telling them this. And they said, oh, if you can't do it, I'll do it for you. And they took me in that moment to God in prayer. And I think it's one of the most powerful experiences I've been through. Let's do that for people who are feeling this and feel mute towards God. Let's listen to their complaints and feel their pain with them if you can. That's part of our role as the body of Christ, as a local church, bearing one another's burdens, weeping when each other weep. And one of the things we might need to be careful of is that phrase, at least, at least it ruins empathy. It won't help anyone in this situation. You know, someone could have said to He-Man, well, at least you've got a good job. But at least never helps. At least you have a husband. Oh, at least you can get pregnant. At least you have a job. At least anything. It doesn't help. Please try and avoid using that in these situations. This isn't what Heman needed, and it isn't what we need from each other. What we need is somebody to take us in prayer to the God who knows our situations. We need to listen and to be encouraged to take all of our complaints to God. So we need to be feel free to pray this kind of prayer, and we need to listen to each other pray this kind of prayer too. But I won't be doing my job properly if I didn't end with the most important thing, which is when you feel this pain, consider Jesus. And it can be very easy to look at this psalm and think, Jesus, where's Jesus in Psalm 88? Well, 
He was a man who was known as a man of sorrow. And he was familiar with grief. Like seeing the hurt and the pain of the world around that he loved more than we could ever love it crushed him. And we can't forget that Jesus would have sung this psalm in the temple all throughout his life. And wonderfully, Jesus demonstrates that God isn't a God who sits in heaven and looks at us with all our hurt and despair and says, well, at least. No. God is a God who instead says, I know. I know your pain. I know what it's like. When we're in the pit of despair, God doesn't stand at the top going, I'm really sorry. I wish I could help you out. No, he jumps into the pit with us and says, I know how you feel. Jesus knew what it was like to feel closer to death than life. As he hung on the cross between earth and heaven, closer to death than life, he knows how we feel. And he knew what it felt to feel like he was drowning in grief. The night before he died, as he prays in Gethsemane, he says to his disciples, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. If that doesn't sound like Psalm 88, I don't know what does. But then more than just feeling abandoned, Jesus was abandoned. See, when he needed them most, all of the friends who claimed they'd die for him ran away like cowards. His fiercest defender is so scared to be associated with him that the questioning of a little girl causes him to swear he never even met Jesus. But even worse than being abandoned by his friends, on the cross, Jesus cries out with more truth than he, man, or we will ever have to cry. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was completely abandoned by his friends and his God for us. For you, for me, so that we can be certain that when we might feel like we're abandoned by God, we can trust that we never actually will be. He was abandoned. He was drowned in sorrow. He was crushed so that we will never fully sink beneath the surface. If you're not a Christian here watching this online or here today and you don't yet know this Jesus as saviour, then your sorrow is only calling you to put your hope in the God who can give you eternal joy and eternal satisfaction. And calling you to look at this Jesus who felt all of these things in your place so that you can have your biggest need sorted. You're not being right with God. Who took all of your sins, all of your sorrows we sing in songs on his shoulders, made them his very own and then took them away from you and gives you Perfect righteousness, so that when you feel like God has abandoned you, you can know, no, he abandoned Jesus so that I never have to be. If you are not yet a Christian here this morning, if this is the first time you're hearing this, this is the most important thing you can hear in your misery. Is the hope that is offered you through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his life of misery and sorrow to win eternal salvation for you. If you want to talk about this, this, there's nothing more important to talk about. Please speak to somebody today. Please get in touch. Let's tell you more about this saviour who loves you and who gave himself for you. If you are a Christian and you're feeling this psalm keenly today or any day in the future, please tell someone. Maybe you're somebody who's never felt something like this. Can I urge you to bottle up these truths for when you do? This is vital truth we need to know. But tell somebody who's going to help us go to God with it. Let's be people who, when people tell us this misery, don't try and fix it ourselves immediately. Let's take people to God in prayer. 
He'll help bring it to the God who knows what it's like to feel this pain, this anguish, this despair, but who does everything necessary to make sure that this pain isn't the end. If someone tells this to you, pray with them. Let's take them to this psalm and pray it with them to God. You see, Psalm 88 shows us that despair, pain, anguish and grief can all be worship if we take it to God. So cast all of your burdens on the Lord because he really does care for you. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you for this psalm. We thank you that this is in the Bible. This isn't a psalm we'd have put in the Bible ourselves, Lord. We confess it's not a psalm we'd sing, probably. But Father, we thank you that it's here. Thank you for the pain and the hurt that it gives voice to. Thank you that it is in your word. Thank you that your son would have sung it. But most of all, Father, we thank you that more than anyone else in all of creation ever, your son felt this psalm the keenest. Father, we thank you that he was despised and rejected by men so that we won't be despised and rejected by you. Father, we thank you for the eternal salvation that your son won for us on the cross. And thank you for those of us who know the certainty of that in our hearts and in our lives today. Father, if there are people here who do not yet know you as their saviour, I pray, Father, that you would be calling them even now to put their trust and their hope in you. Above everything else, Lord, I pray that they would put their trust and their hope in you. And Father, if there are people here this morning who do know you yet are feeling something of this, Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to be able to put words to our pain, to allow ourselves and others to be honest about how we're feeling, but to remember that taking it to you turns it into worship and praise and adoration. Father, thank you that you can take it. Thank you you can handle our complaints. And thank you that you love to hear them because it's a demonstration of faith in the God that you've revealed yourself to be. We thank you for this psalm. Bless us, we pray. Amen.